Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast and we are four episodes into my top five podcast of 2023 and today you'll hear my conversation with Tom Goodwin. Thanks for listening today. Thanks as always for listening and I'll see you back here in a few weeks time for a brand new series. Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and in this episode I've got a really great guest. Um, I sometimes have these conversations which just seem very easy and flow very naturally and that's testament to my guest Tom Goodwin. Tom has a great ability to pretty much talk about any subject that you want to discuss so we jumped around to loads of different areas. I think you'll find them all really interesting though. I think you'll really appreciate Tom's point of view and his ability to cut through bullshit and tell it the way it is and that's why frankly Tom's a very popular voice both on social media um, his posts on LinkedIn generate so much engagement and that's because he provokes people with interesting ideas and well-constructed arguments too. And he's also a very accomplished keynote speaker. So all in all, it's a very entertaining and informative episode in which we discuss why Tom's an optimist but avoids the hype machine, how zooming out can help you get a realistic perspective of what really matters to people, what people have got right and wrong when it comes to finding meaning in their jobs, lessons we can learn from marketing and industry that Tom's worked in for many years, including basic human things like listening, observing people and being curious. And to that point, also the role technology should play in making us more human. Uh, finally, partly for selfish reasons, but partly because this is a skill which Tom makes great use of. I ask what makes a good question and Tom explains why it's really important that we continue asking difficult ones. So if you enjoy listening to the show, do check out previous episodes. You might enjoy the conversations I had with Daniel Pink and Christopher Lockhead, for example. Also check out my newsletter, Future Work Life, for more on the themes we discussed today. But that's enough from me. Here's my conversation with Tom. Tom, pleasure to have you on the show. Why are you optimistic about the future? Um, because of two things. One, why would you not be? Like, you know, what use is there in being pessimistic? You know, optimism is the place where we come up with the best ideas. It's where we solve things in more creative ways. Um, it's better to be optimistic and disappointed, you know, rather than pessimistic and validated and correct. Um, but it's also quite hard not to be. I mean, you, you can't really look at any data. Um, any sort of altitude over any time period and come to the conclusion that things are getting worse, unless you're really trying to. You know, if you want to look at opioid deaths in the Appalachian Mountains, you can do that. But why don't we look at Singapore? Why don't we look at Australia? Why don't we look at sub-Saharan Africa? Why don't we look at Rotherham? Um, you know, generally speaking, things are getting better and technology is an amazing force for making life not fair, but more fair. What about the relationship between optimism and hype? Because can, can optimism stray into hype too easily? Because I know you're not a fan of the hype machine. Yes. I mean, I'm going to sort of sound like I'm contradicting myself all over the place here. But, but we are living at a time where things are amazing, but we are somewhat distracted. Um, and I think my greatest concern is the way that we consume media and the way the media is monetized. Um, and the reality is that fear sells... Um, creation of this environment in which you think you're not doing enough and not knowing enough and the next big thing is going to change everything and it's going to change things more quickly and in more dramatic ways and you need my help. You know, that's the sort of uh, environment mm. we are right now. And, and that sort of bothers me. 
I mean, I'd still rather have overhyped technology and sort of idiotic people selling NFTs and Web3, but still live in an environment which is better than it's ever been before. Um, but hype is absolutely something we need to be careful about. Mm. How do you identify the right things to focus on? Because I guess doing the work that you do, it's it both requires that you've got a broad view on the world and that you're sort of dipping into lots of areas a little bit but then also presumably what you're trying to do is bring people back to center in a sense as in you know here's everything you could think about and here are the very few things that actually might make a difference yeah i think it's actually quite easy and i'm always amazed that more people don't do it and that's if you really want to understand something you zoom out not in Mm. um i mean that's kind of it you know go and sit on a bus um you know look at people in aldi um you know, listen to people at the bus stop, um, fly on a sort of worse airline and, and look at what people are looking at. Uh, talk to your nieces, your nephews, you know, have friends that come from different places and do different stuff. Um, you know, fly to China. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I have this sort of unique vantage point and I certainly don't have a unique skill set. But But my role really is to kind of connect the dots in different ways. But to do so... From the perspective of common sense, really, I mean, like mm. if you think a smart speaker is going to change absolutely everything and, and dominate commerce, then try and buy something from it. Um, it's quite obvious within about 30 seconds. It's not a great way to buy a sofa. It's not a great way to buy shampoo. Um, that doesn't make me a genius for figuring it out. It just meant I tried, um, you know, mm. sort of observe and, and uh, you know, read from a variety of sources. You know, I think width is the other thing. Um, but the main thing is just to be empathetic about what it's like to be a normal human being on this planet. Which leads me on to the obvious question, or at least obvious question for me, which is, are VR headsets really the future of remote meetings? Well, it's a very good question, and it's fun to discuss it. And I think, um, without sounding rude, your question sort of already made a bit of a mistake about the way that the future happens, because there isn't just sort of one future. (laughs) I mean, like... um, did sort of segways take over the world? No. You know, are there things a bit like segways that you can sort of get around Paris on? Yes. You know, do you find them in um, Lahore? No. Um, so I think for some people that are kind of um, drawn into their homes and away from each other in real life, you know, I think VR headsets could be quite uh, interesting. But I think what we tend to do routinely is forget how human we are. Um, it, you know, it's much more helpful to um, conceive of us as, you know, fairly rudimentary animals um, that are driven by a need to be part of a tribe and driven by very sort of animalistic instincts to, you know, come together and communicate with each other and feel a sense of belonging and procreate and all that kind of crap. Mm-hmm. You know, if you presume that we're sort of animals and therefore we probably like touching each other, we probably like being next to each other, we probably like being part of something, you know, you're not normally that wrong if you just assume that we're quite advanced apes. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what we're dealing with there is people trying to, well, it felt like for me, almost finding a answer to some technology which is built right which you know frankly look apple do a great job of creating a good looking product which functionally does a great job um but it feels like we're still clinging on to well what could this be applied for outside of gaming because that seems like an obvious place i mean the weird thing about marketing really is you know since about 1950 in theory marketing should have become so important than rather than living in age of sort of production where it's about factories and things that come off the end of the factories and then someone going, oh, shit, you know, we now need to sell this. 
in, in theory, the industrial revolution should almost be um, reversed to the point where there are lots of people going around listening to us and imagining what we want and creating this stuff that we want. And I think we were kind of getting there about 10 years ago, you know, when you had things like the Google Nest, when you had things like mm. dog mode and the Tesla, you know, when you had things like the first iPhone. Um, I felt like we were getting to a point where actually really imaginative and thoughtful products were taken over. And then I think what happened is so much money came into tech world and so many of the figures in tech world are, are sort of lovely people, but perhaps not the most um, representative of normal people's needs. And they had so much power and so much money that the sort of the culture became tech prevailing. And then now everything really is sort of driven by companies that need to maintain quite silly share prices. Mm. Um, and you can only do that not by saying, well, people like phones, let's make a better one. Um, but by the sort of suspension of normal physics in business by saying, you know, if we can just do something with quantum computing, we'll be worth 10x. Or if we can just do something with AI, then everything will be different and everyone will buy our share price on a different metric. And I think um, we're in a bit of a wobbly phase, I think. Mm. Going back to that that point you made before about just observing real people doing real yeah. things. Yes. I think from what, from what I've read, you've been in office recently or getting into the office more. Um, I think you're back at, at, from what I've read in Television Centre, if yes. I'm not mistaken, which I've spent a bit of time in over the years as well. Um, what are you seeing real people wanting to do when they're there? Are they wanting to come in and collaborate or do they just want to see people? You know, is that a human instinct to just be around others, the, the most obvious reason people are coming in? I mean, um, one, one thing to note really before I sort of say all this stuff is I am quite introverted. I think um, there's, there's something quite annoying about people that like being in the office, which a lot of people take offence to. Um, and I, I always get quite a lot of criticism on social media from people that are introverted saying, you know, it's all right for you as a sort of tall white guy. You know, I used to hate talking to people. I used to hate small talk. I used to hate being in the elevator with people. Um, and I'm quite naturally like that as well, to be honest. Like I don't, I don't really like small talk. But I think it's good for us to do things that we find quite hard. You know, for me, the sort of office is a bit like going to the gym, um, mm. where in an ideal world, you know, I wouldn't have to do it. And it is kind of inefficient and it's sort of out of the way. But it's probably good for me. Um, I, I see and I have seen over the last three years because I've been sort of traveling quite a lot. Uh, and often I've been in places where, you know, COVID didn't really affect things that much. Um, I, I basically sort of seen almost everything about the office return to something which is almost identical to before. Um, you know, there were phases where things were quite strange. There were phases where people didn't really know how to behave. There were phases where people sort of over corrected and where everyone sort of looked like they were terrified and excited to be in the office. And I think people are now have sort of got to a slightly more typical um, long term behavior. And, you know, for many people listening to this, I'm sure they have quite unusual jobs. So they're probably working, you know, uh, maybe two days a week in the office so they have freedom about where they are. You know, but but the average person on the planet, you know, is not a sort of brand consultant. It's not someone um, running a social media influencer agency. It's not a, a founder of a tech startup. You know, the average mm -hmm. person works for kind of Leicester City Council in procurement or something. Um, and I, th I think for quite normal people, um, things are, are very much back to how they used to be. Hmm. Have you read the recent Gallup 
reports. You know, they release these reports every year where they talk about engagement in, in organisations. Yes, it was very low, I think, wasn't it? Wasn't it sort of shockingly yellow? Well, everyone was given up or something. Well, the, the headline was engagement yeah. up to, okay. I, th- I think, 23%, which seems, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was up by 1% from 22 to 23 or something something like that, which is uh, sort of thoroughly depressing, really. But, I think, um, you know what? I mean, maybe I'm talking too much here, but I think we're at a very weird point when it comes to us and jobs. Because I think until about 2005, you know, we weren't really supposed to like our jobs that much. Like, you know, I, we wouldn't sort of, you know, ideally we wouldn't get beaten up at work. Like, ideally we wouldn't get killed. Um, ideally we wouldn't get touched up in inappropriate ways. But I don't think many people in 1997 were thinking, oh, you know, I can't believe it. My job's not providing me with every sort of everything I need in life. And I think um, it's it's not really a generational thing. I think what happened was for a period of time, things got so good and there was so sort of much abundance in the world that people got quite picky. And then there was this sense somehow that a job should be something that, you know, was us and it sort of fed our soul and it was going to be our identity. And I think kind of we're quite lost really, because we don't know the degree to which our job should be everything or something. Mm. We don't know what criteria to measure a good job by. You know, if you do something that's sort of morally reprehensible, but then you've got tons of money, you know, to give to charities across the world, you know, is that okay? If, if you're sort of working for a company that's doing something fairly unimportant, like, you know, making dog food, you know, does that mean that your calling in life is not uh, being satiated because all you're doing is sort of feeding dogs, you know, slightly substandard, with slightly substandard food? I think people are really lost. They don't know how to measure success at the moment. I think people get too hung up on the specific product or service that the company provides rather than the nature of the job that they're doing and the value that they create, not just for an end consumer, but for those around them. I think that's the bit which we've not really, and I don't think this leaders, managers have necessarily acquired the new toolkit required to communicate that to people and communicate meaning in that way. Yeah, but but also what the job allows us to do outside of the job. You know, like mm. again, maybe the job isn't actually that hard, and that gives us all sorts of energy to go and run charities in the evening, or go to the allotment yeah. or something. Yeah, um, I, I think is I think is a really fascinating thing, and I think the question, what is a good day at work, or what is a good job, I think these are really interesting things to discuss with people actually, because you know, yeah. may, maybe it means that you've got lots of energy left. Maybe it means that you learnt lots. Um, maybe it means that you um, felt proud of the difference you made to your team even though the company does something quite bad. Well, I think the reality as well is that very few people actually reflect upon that stuff. I think just, you know, the reality of life is that it passes by quickly. The day goes by, you go home, you know, I've got three kids. I turn up the moment I walk through the door or walk out of the door over here, you know, I'm bombarded and I don't necessarily have the time to do it. Although that changed for me actually. So a few years ago, I was running an agency for 10 years and finally I had a moment to sort of, you know, the luxury, the privilege of being able to say, oh, what yeah. do I want to do next? What, what, what do I want my life to be like? And I started doing yeah. this mi- micro journaling thing. And that sort of thing actually does in- unlock incredible insights. But the yeah. question is, whilst people, I think, do almost have a new perspective on meaning, as in, I feel like I should have meaning in my work, actually doing something about it is, you know, that's <laughs> human, nat- human nature getting in the way, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it? It's very hard. And I think it's very easy for people like me to say things that sound quite compelling, but are somewhat impractical. 
Mm. Um, you know, I'm I'm aware that above a certain point in our life, it's probably more appealing to get less money um, and have more freedom and more time. Like actually, the sort of value of being in control of your um, calendar is is much greater than you can really yeah. put a, a financial amount on. But it's quite easy to say that you know when you're not worried about you know your standard rate mortgage <clears throat> turning into like a flexible rate. Like it, like it's quite easy to say that when your kid's not um, getting a bit sick and you might need to sort of find a specialist. Mm. Um, so I always worry about things that sound like advice, but I think we have some very good questions, which is, you know, what should we optimize our life against? Um, and are we making assumptions that come from a traditional sense of what a good life is? You know, are, are we making, um, I think education is a very interesting one. Like, like I live most of my life in America. Um, and the obsession that a certain demographic has with the idea that if your kids don't go to a school that costs a lot of money, you know, it's tantamount to child abuse. Um, I, I find that extraordinary because I see all sorts of overworked, overstressed parents doing everything they can to give their kids the best start in life. And mm. you do wonder, you know, maybe the best start in life is that you get home at a nice time and you're not freaking out all the time. Yeah. So somebody asked me the other day, well, are your kids going to go to university? And I think we, you know, when Tony Blair came in, the task seemed to be get everybody into university. It's interesting now that his son has created an alternative, yeah. which is essentially encouraging people not to go into university and take other routes. How do you think about it? And let's just use yeah. your example, because again, don't, let's not give advice, but do you think you would, either in the US or the UK, assume you would go to university straight out of school? I th- assuming is the the right question. Um, mm. I think it's probably quite likely that, um, you know, I, I naturally would say that I would probably not go to university again, but that's something that's easy to say when you have been to university. Um, and there's a certain sort of arrogance almost that, that comes from that. Mm. Um, I think the, I think what's happened is that education has become sort of unbundled um, from qualification um, and in particular, what you really see in the US is that universities really act as a kind of uh, a sign of status. Like, it, like mm. it's really saying either that you are sufficiently compliant and determined and maybe athletic um, enough to, to focus maniacally on this one accomplishment, or you come from a certain social strata, you know, where your parents can, you know, sponsor the right school team to make this mm. uh, process lubricative. And I think education is completely removed from the entire equation. What we have now, and this is actually why I'm the most optimistic about the future, um, we have the ability for anyone on the planet to learn anything that's ever been discovered. Um, We have the ability now to talk to people that we never would have had access to before. Um, Even something like a Zoom means that you can probably email someone in a remarkably high up position and they might give you five minutes of advice. Um, This doesn't make the world fair, but I think it means that there is a greater sense of self-determinism than ever before. And I I love reading about these sort of stories of, you know, 17 year old kids that set up a drop shipping business, you know, based on the sort of money that they save from working at KFCs at the weekend or something. Because you do actually realize if you have a sort of pretty sort of sparkly um, risk tolerant um, sort of tricky brain, you know, probably seven years ago, you'd have got expelled, you know, maybe 15 years ago, you'd have gone to sort of different schools, maybe four years ago, you'd have been given some sort of medication if you lived in America. And now you might be in TechCrunch, or you might be sort of standing Mm. on a stage in, you know, Lisbon or something. And I think um, 
what we should really do with all of these technologies is make sure we use them to test some of the assumptions that we have. Um, and the assumption has always been that, you know, your life will involve a career that probably takes a long time. You'll probably have one income stream. You'll probably live in one house. Um, you'll probably get married. Um, you'll probably have a pension. And actually, now you start to look at that and you think, you know what, like, you know, maybe you don't need a pension. Maybe you just need to, you know, um, Airbnb your place out weekends. Um, maybe you don't need a job when you're 70. Maybe you need um, a good book um, and some consultancy work. You know, maybe you can take a career break at, at 40, you know, because you need to get your head together. Um, I'm not saying these are solutions. I'm just saying the act of challenging assumptions about the shape and the sort of container of life primarily because of the dynamics that technology has changed. I think that's a really valid process for people to go through. I don't know why it's come to me like this, because I suppose <laughs> because you were saying about taking a break at 40, uh, which is essentially <laughs> what, I, what I did um, <laughs> or have ended up doing. And I think but I, I ended up doing it. Not, I didn't really realise it at the time, but I was burnt out. And I think yeah. I just, you know, it was sort of, one moment too many where you think, you know what, I just, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, it seems to me a scourge of the modern work life. I wonder though, what you think about it. Is, is it this self-perpetuating thing, burnout, or do you see it as just something that we've been asking for this for a while and it's culminating in a sense that if you, ask, you ask most people on the street whether they've felt burnt out in the past yeah. six months, I think probably most people would say yes. Yeah, it's a very good question. I'm definitely, definitely not an expert on this. Um, but but three things that sort of spring to mind now in no order. Uh, one, you know, the general world is exhausting. You know, if you're someone unfortunate enough to ever read the media or ever be on social media, um, you're kind of paralyzed. You know, it's either sort of videos of floods or videos of fires or videos of people being beaten up that shouldn't have been or people videos of people um, doing nasty stuff. Like, like it's a very sort of anxiety ridden uh, media environment. So that's that's the sort of foundation, I think, that we're all in where all of our sort of brain chemistry has been sort of poked at by algorithms. Um, secondly, I think the environment of work is a very um, fear ridden place right now. Like I, I meet quite a lot of sort of senior people and I go to quite a lot of events. Um, and I really feel like the, the dominant condition within everyone is actually to be really scared. Um, and for almost no reason, you know, people sort of both hate their jobs and are terrified about being fired at the same time. Um, people feel out of their depth, but also like they should get a promotion at the same time. Like everyone seems absolutely terrified. Um, I used to have a very sort of annoying picture of Kermit the Frog on the handlebars of a bike um, saying, you know, don't worry, there's no evidence whatsoever that life has to be remotely serious. Um, and I think a lot of people found that quite offensive when I had it in New York because there's there's sort of a feeling that if you're not that serious, that you're not sort of being respectful to the enormous challenge of, of everyday life. But also it doesn't really help, you know, like mm. that sort of... Um, you know, like taking life not that seriously is quite a good uh, tip, I think, for people. Um, so that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, you know, we've kind of been told that anything is possible um, and we have all this choice. And, you know, our social media feeds are, mm. you know, bloggers in Bali that are writing about granola for a living. You know, there's uh, people who are sort of taking all their clothes off and getting 50 grand a month or sticking things inside themselves. There's 
you know, kids that I just talked about that are selling like sneakers, you know, through drop shipping. There's people scraping data and there's people selling um, courses on LinkedIn to how to make it. You know, the, the, you, somehow these days you're supposed to compare yourself with people that don't really work at all. When they are working, they're in, you know, somewhere beautiful mm. and they're making tons of money. And then they have all of these followers and all these subscribers and they're building a direct-to-consumer brand on the side. And at the same time, they're getting speaking gigs and they've written a book and they're on podcasts. Like, these people are amazing. Uh, and we're sort of being compared with all of them. You know, so if you do just happen to be, you know, the head of marketing for British Airways, you know, in 1985, you probably had the best job in the UK. Um, and now you probably feel like a bit of a loser because you're not, you know, you haven't written a book yet. Um, so I think everyone's sort of holding themselves account to the most ridiculous circumstances. And therefore, I think people have become to expect quite a lot and not really appreciate what they have. Um, yeah. And that's enormously sort of, you know, irritating for me to say that because I'm really lucky and I've got more stuff, you know, of, of those things I talked about than other people. Um, but I think it's true. Like we should sort of be a little bit happy with what we've got. Yeah, I wonder though, I think this might be a time thing. I think we've got our perception of time all muddled up. And, yeah. I, and I'm, guilty, I'm guilty of this as well, actually. I spent the past three years just trying to work out what to do next with my life, frankly, yeah. you know, got, cut through yeah. all the bullshit. You know, that's what I've been doing. And I have, and by the way, I have written a book and I do do <laughs> quite a bit of speaking. And, uh, and I've been, and I've been, frankly, sucked into some of this stuff. Like, it's I just, I mean, it's just what happens. So like, you just completely use my own experience as yeah. the lens. So, you know, I get frustrated. I'm like, oh, you know, if I see, I feel like I'm doing the right things and I feel like I should be, you know, moving at pace. Now, if I do what you talked about earlier and zoom out a little bit and get some perspective, I say, well, actually, bloody hell, you know, three years of, you know, very different life now. Go back to basics. It's paying for my mortgage and paying for my bills. But I sometimes, you know, I feel like I should be in a more of a hurry because I've spoken to, met loads of great people actually through LinkedIn and other podcasts and all this sort of stuff. But by nature, often if I invite someone on my podcast, there's somebody that's doing something really interesting is almost at like the top of their game. Well, oh, here's access to some really cool people, really interesting people to build interesting relationships with. But it's impossible not to say, should I be hitting the heights they are? And this is my time point, I suppose. I suspect with patience, I and other people will get there. It's just, it's difficult to see that when you are hit every single day, bombarded every day with, I'm I'm smashing it. I've got this number, and so I say that only for people you know who are listening to relate to the fact that yeah, look, there's lots of things that I think I've done right, but there are many more that I uh, have self doubt about, and uh, sometimes worry whether I've got the wrong perspective. No, I mean um, it's odd because actually this morning I've been saying to myself everything that you just said there, um, and if I can be quite relaxed about things, and if I look at my life over year long increments. Um, I have a really, really nice time. Um, mm. The moment I'm in a hurry, you know, the moment I think, um, you know, I need to get a bit more money coming in because, you know, I'm trying to invest in this business idea. The moment I try and force it, I get extremely stressed. Yeah. Um, and I probably get a lot worse at what I do. Um, and I'm probably less likely to be successful. Um, but I guess all of these things, it's a, it's a balance, isn't it? It's sort of finding the right level of um, ambition. It's finding the right level of, um, thirst is finding the right level of self-belief you know and if you have too little then you're going to stagnate and get frustrated if you have too much you're going to beat yourself up too much so. mm. 
I'm shift. I was, I was, I was going to ask you a question about decision making there because I think, yeah. you know, for me, and it, I think that's what you were reflecting there is in those moments. I think, frankly, just your decision making gets poorer. You are making the shorter term decisions, without right? Um, yeah, without um, doubt. You've worked in advertising and in around marketing and advertising for, for for many years. I'm wondering what basic advertising principles we've forgotten that can help us look at this modern world a bit differently. <laughs> Um, I think, um, the world of advertising is one of the few industries in the world that I think has actually got, um, has, has sort of stopped making progress and gone backwards. Um, I think there has been this enormous need to make it seem more complicated than it really is. Um, because fundamentally it's quite a simple industry. Um, what advertising is at the best is really rooted in understanding people and it's rooted in understanding what it's like to be alive today. And it's rooted in trying to help people live their lives in ways by making choosing things a little bit easier. Mm. Um, so I actually think the fundamental principles um, and theory behind advertising is actually very useful for how people live their normal lives. You know, it's to listen to people, it's to observe people, it's to be thoughtful um, know when the right time to say something is, you know, keep on learning, keep on being curious. Um, but I think, and maybe that's, um, you know, maybe we've discovered something, here. you know, maybe, um, maybe that's symptomatic of the degree to which we're quite lost in the world at the moment. Cause I do, I do think people are quite lost and I do think, um, companies are quite lost. I think political parties are quite lost. I think as almost on any sort of aggregated sort of um, altitude um everyone's really lost everyone's got really good stuff going on there's lots of nice energy lots of really important things are getting better but i do think people don't quite know what to do mm. where do you go for answers when you feel like that um i think i feel um this is not answering the question this is just me sort of um getting therapy i, I feel very frustrated because I, I feel mm. like there's a parallel universe which is only slightly different where everything is amazing um you know i see the way that people behave on instagram i see the way that people behave on twitter and i think everyone as individuals is amazing you know i think actually we're pretty much all well-intentioned people mm. um i think we all have really good uh, motivations for what we do um, and I think some people are a bit more broken than others, but most people are great. Um, and somehow we're kind of messing it up. You know, you listen to some of the political discussions and you think, you know, regardless of where you are on any of these spectrums, like you're just trying to enact what you think is a better world. You know, that better world may be something I completely and wholeheartedly disagree with. Um, but you're probably not evil. Um, mm. You know, you're, you just have a different sense of, of where we should be going. So I think when I'm lost, because I'm trying to answer the question here, um, I, I just um, tried to take a step back away from everything in a really dramatic way. Um, I think it's odd because I think the smarter we become and we are, the less we really understand ourselves. Um, I'm always amazed at my inability to really understand what my emotions are about. Um, so I just try to simplify things. I try to sort of focus on doing the things that make me feel good. Um, it, it's crazy to me as a human that there are some things that make you feel amazing are completely free of charge and are quite easy to do. Um, and we don't do those things very often. Um, you know, it, it's really weird how, how we are wired. Mm. What role 
does technology play in it? Because I think, again, we go back to the point earlier about shoehorning yeah. AR headsets into something else. I mean, I'm... I'm pretty optimistic about technology as well, yeah. generally, and definitely think it can facilitate some of this stuff. But of course, it can sometimes get in the way as well. I was thinking about how you see that role playing. I think um, you're asking me loads of good questions. I'm doing lots of sort of spare at the moment thinking. So if I say something really stupid or really wrong, then <laughs> apologies to the listeners. I think um, this is probably the process that we should go through. We should probably you know, think about what it is to be us and think about what matters to us as a person and, and more sort of generally as, as sort of a species. And then we should think, you know, what is the role in technology? What is the role of technology in, in making that easier or better? You know, so if we enjoy being around each other uh, and we enjoy having five pints in the pub and getting a bit stupid um, with good friends that make us, you know, feel good about who we are, then the role of technology is to bring us together and make that happen more often and more easily. Um you know, if we feel disconnected away from our, our sense of where we're going, then the role of education is to find education and find access to people that can help give us a degree of guidance. I think for me, the role of technology is always um, as a force for making us more human and as a way to sort of leverage what we um, are here to do. And it's much more about a sort of bridge. It's much more about a kind of lever um, and I think the problems that we face and the reason why I get quite angry and I sound quite cynical about technology sometimes is often we're kind of using it um, a, a, as a way to kind of um, get in the way of that stuff. Mm. Um, I have this big thought that I've tweeted a few times and no one's ever, ever cared about it. So um, clearly it's not that big or that exciting. But I think of phones. Like they're, they're either a sort of a portal. Like they're either there to, to sort of get us out of the world and into more interesting places and to discover um, better art and to find great music and to text people that we need to talk to. They're either a portal or they're a barrier. Mm. Um, and when you see people looking at them, you can see immediately from their body language whether it's a portal or a barrier. Yeah. And almost all of the time these days I see it as a barrier. Is someone at a party, I do it as well, you're feeling a little bit shy, you know, you've got a big spot on your face, um, you don't want to go to the toilet again because you've just done that. Uh, so you pick, pick up your phone and you use it as a barrier and you're saying to people, don't talk to me. Um, you know, you're on a bus and you, you don't really want to think about the day you've had. You don't really want to sort of contemplate on the fact that you haven't spoken to your dad for a while. So you pick up the phone and it becomes a, a barrier. And I think for me that becomes quite a powerful um, mechanism. Like, am I using this to have a, a better day, to be more open, to let life into my brain, or am I using it to block out a feeling? Um, and maybe there's something big there, or maybe I'm just wrong, but I think um, I think it's something to ponder on. Yeah, I think about the best applications of my phone. I'm not talking about the actual apps. I'm just thinking about, you know, yeah. how, you, how it fit, fits into my life. And one of the best, um, this is this is something that I, you know, similarly to your big idea, this is my big idea that I share with people. And, you know, I'm sort of <laughs> <laughs> and sort of, you know, I'm trying to translate this into some sort of business or certainly product because I think it just would make a difference to other people. But the best thing, the best feature of my phone is you know the montages in your photo hour mm. you know you go to your photo and occasionally it says 11th of july 2022 this is what you were yeah. doing this time last year 
And I, the feeling I get when I see those 10 photographs of the video from this time last year, and I've forgotten half of it, and it's just, yeah, it yeah. takes me back in time and let, gets me back in that moment. And yeah. Because often I don't feel like I'm living in the moment now. And yeah, just something yeah. just stops me in my tracks and says, oh, that this thing happened. Remember this day. And for me, that is what is often missing, has been missing in my life over the past 10, 15 years. Just taking stock of what's actually happening day to day, which is what I was saying yeah. before. You know, one of the biggest revelations or biggest insights that I've had over the past year, few years is if I just sit for a couple of minutes at the end of the day and just write down a few things which happened yeah. in my day, yeah, yeah, it yeah. kind of replicates that idea. And then occasionally I just pick up, I've got the book here. I've yeah. got various little notes and I say well three highlights of my day and occasionally I flick through and I'm taken back in time to that moment and it's just that's when technology I think can facilitate that feeling where you just don't lose those moments and it can evoke the feelings Um, and I say that because I'm telling anybody who'll listen about that (laughs) idea so I relate it to your weak idea thinking oh I'll share mine as well no, I think it's great I think any anything that we can do to sort of help us understand ourselves more you know, like anything that we can do to sort of let the... Do you remember when you used to sort of move a file on a computer? You'd sort of drop, like, um, files from one folder to another and it'd sort of go... Yeah, 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 Like, you know, 10 minutes remaining. I think our brains need quite a lot of that, really. You know, I think our brains need a chance to sort of download and to connect the dots and, uh, you know, get bored. Um, And I think we're scared of being bored. You know, every time we're bored, we're like, shit, where's the phone? You know, how can I read mm. an article? How can I sort of text someone? Um, and I think we need to get much more comfortable with with a bit of calmness and, and letting ourselves digest this stuff a little bit more. Mm. Well, we, we were chatting briefly before we pressed record about podcasts. And sadly, mm. well, podcasts are both a blessing and curse of my life because they are there when I need to fill some time. And mm-hmm. but of course, the, even my using those words, fill time, suggests that that's time to be wasted. And yes. uh, again, just having to check yourself and correct yourself occasionally to realize that, God, I remember back in the day, yeah, getting bored was a good thing. You know, yeah, getting, yeah. Bored, getting used to boredom was a good thing. And my kids don't understand that when they're asking <laughs> in the pub. <laughs> anyway. I don't, I, was, I don't think you could understand. I don't think you could explain boredom. I mean, I remember, you know, I grew up in a village. I remember... Um, you know, there'd be four TV channels and you'd get home from school and it was February, so it'd be raining and cold outside. Um, and you'd watch snooker, you know, yeah. and then you'd be like, oh, it's a little bit too boring. And then you'd watch like green bowls or lawn bowls or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, anything. And, yeah. And then like the adverts would come on and it'd be great because you'd sort of be like entertained for a bit. You know, to have that um, capacity for kind of low intensity entertainment, you know, remember listening to a cassette and you just listen to the same music again and again yeah. and again because you just owned, you know, you got Dexy's Midnight Runners for free from Week to Dex and that's all you had. Uh, you listen to the charts and if it was a bad song, you'd be like, well, I, I better wait four minutes until there's a good yeah. song. You know, we have we have no sort of tolerance to this stuff anymore. Yes. All things. This is this free. This does feel like a therapy session, doesn't it? I think I think I feel better. I feel like a bit better after this. Um, I mean, I've got to ask it because it's kind of related to what I was talking about technology, and it's just timely, right? So AI. Just let's yeah. briefly talk about AI. I mean, there are clearly going to be ways in which AI can change our lives, and of course, there are very many more examples right now where they won't have any impact at all and it's just a way of fluffing a uh, average product but I mean in your view what is the most exciting way AI could help us do better work for example um 
I think, um, broadly speaking, you know, generally technology allows us to move up and to spend our body's energy in a more effective way. You know, so the first examples of technology were always levers to our muscles, you know, as things like the, the, the plow. You know, then it became levers to smaller muscles, a bit more dexterity, like the loom. Um, mm. And then it became a sort of lever to our fingers, allowing us to sort of type and, and spread words further. And this is, this is kind of a lever to our thinking. Um, and that means it's quite hard because, you know, jobs before moved us up to thinking jobs and therefore we became more human and we added more value. And where do we go beyond sort of thinking jobs? Um, so I think there's a degree of uncertainty really about what this all means. And I'm not wise enough um, to sort of really figure out what the first and or even the second, let alone the second order consequences of this are. Um but I, I'm kind of getting out of the answer here. I, I, don't, I don't think the, I don't think the technology is quite as amazing as, as, as how people talk about it. You know, there's this mm. kind of feeling somehow that is going to change everything in all directions. Um, it's quite unlikely that happens for quite a lot of time. Um, you know, I, I don't see people getting home and sort of deciding to talk to Shakespeare, you know, on an AI chat, but I don't, I don't see that as becoming more exciting than, you know, watching someone dance on TikTok. Mm. Um, so I, I don't really sort of see this as a sort of wave that comes and sort of changes everything. I, th- I think generally speaking, the more mundane aspects of our jobs can be automated. Um, this isn't just an AI thing. It's more of a sort of better software thing. You know, so how can we not yeah. have to do timesheets, you know, because our computers know what we were doing? How can we not have to do expenses because, you know, someone's designed an API to sort of scrape data from the right places? Um, but you know, if I'm a little bit more practical, but slightly, um, slightly, uh, sort of, um, depressing, you know, we don't have a good track record of what we, what we save time with, you know, when we invented the vacuum, it just meant that people expected their houses to be more clean. So people spent longer vacuuming than they did before. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the advent of the microwave didn't make us cook more ambitious food because it was easier. It made us cook worse food. You know, so it's it's quite likely in a way that unless we're really thoughtful about it, you know, we do just um, free ourselves up to spend more time sort of morosely scrolling through our phones, sort of wistfully looking at other people that are thinner. Um, so I think we'll have to be quite careful about it. One final question for you, and this is uh, just a purely selfish one, just to help me in the future. So mm. I'm interested in what you think makes a good question. Whenever I read what you write, yeah. I just think you're asking good questions. You're asking the right kind of questions. And I'm just interested how you think about it. Have you learned to ask them better through writing or is it just something that is innate to you? <laughs> this in itself is an amazing question. Um, I think intentions matter a lot with questions. This is like an obvious thing to say. Um, but almost 99% of the questions that people ask, they're actually trying to say something, not learn something. Um, even when they think they're trying to learn something, what they're really trying to do is wait for the person that, that tells them what they wanted to hear um, so they can sort of pounce on that answer. So I think one is you have to genuinely be asking it because you want to learn as much as you can. Um, two is you need to be learning. You need to be doing it because you're trying to challenge how you think. So I think uh, you have to be asking it to the right people. Um, I'm very lucky because I have an audience of people on on sort of LinkedIn that often know a lot about stuff. Um, 
And I think finally, I think a bit of provocation is quite helpful. I think um, there's some expression like the best way to get the right answer on the internet is to um, say the wrong thing or to to, 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 to say the wrong answer. Um, and I think questions that help people get agitated into writing or thinking quite fluidly, I think that's a good thing. Um, and I think, um, you know, my Twitter for years was, um, you know, well-intentioned provocation. And the idea was that actually we learn quite a lot by going a little bit deeper and we go into subject areas we're less comfortable with. Um, quite a lot of the really big issues on the planet, like, um, I don't know, sexism or racism or um, inequality or climate change or, or health, you know, actually they involve really, really um, uncomfortable discussions. Mm. Um and therefore, it's easy for people to not really resolve things in a more meaningful way because the conversations become quite superficial. But I think asking questions at the right depth, with the right provocation, with the right intentions, um, and making sure that you are welcome to everyone's opinion on them. Yeah, that's really important, that last point, isn't it? Because it can be, if you delve into subjects which are inherently controversial, challenging, it, I don't know, I think most people just avoid that because they, especially nowadays, I think people just don't want to be seen to be sticking their nose into something which isn't their concern or that they don't have a right yeah. to speak to. So how do you think about that? I definitely get a sense that there's um, yeah. productive provocation in what you write. But yeah. you do seem to manage to get away with offering a strong opinion more than some people do who often get pounced on. And I yeah. wonder if it's just because you've got that following and rep- reputation or whether it's something you've had to cultivate. Um, well, I've done it wrong. I mean, like I've, I've sort of got into quite a lot of trouble in my past by misunderstanding um, right. the room in a way. Like mm. um, to, to, I, I've, been very, I've been wrong in that I've always been more logical. Like I presume that people could look at questions um, dispassionately I could presume mm. that people could probably see my intentions I presume that people wouldn't jump to the wrong conclusions um, I kind of presumed that we we're an environment where we were actually quite tolerant of quite wild discussion online and in a way the fact that our names were attached to it meant that it was more likely to be a respectful conversation yeah. um, and I was quite wrong uh, and that's on me um, but what I kind of learned from it and I, I don't like that this is what I changed but I um I, I sometimes have a post-it note on my computer, which is what good can happen. Um, and that's an understanding that you can't really change people's minds. Um, you, you can do quite well even just to open them a little bit. And everyone yeah. is quite scared. Um, and that means that kind of people pounce on you. Um, and actually being sort of well-intentioned isn't a particularly useful defense. Um, so I've sort of realized really that, for the foreseeable future, um, it's just not that helpful to have these debates in that domain and that instead I should, you know, go to the pub with people um, or just not talk about them. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm being sort of really honest. Yeah. Um, and I think these conversations are everywhere. I mean, you know, I think um, if the UK is going to spend one and a half trillion on, on net zero, um, that seems like something that should be discussed. Not because it's... Um, a terrible idea, um, not because climate change doesn't exist, but there is another question, which is if we're going to improve the lives of people in this country um, with one and a half trillion, what's the best way to spend it? Um, and I prefer questions like that. You know, that, that for me is a good sort of debate to have down the pub. Mm. Um, 
you know, to talk about things like immigration, but in a really um, open way where you understand that a lot of people feel very threatened by, you know, younger people who are, um, you know, more sort of keen to work. You know, these are all very sort of tricky, but incredibly important conversations. You know, we've got like an elderly population. We've got like a demographic time bomb. Um, the, the reality is that we haven't got infrastructure that's set up for, for people to live as long as they will do. And that means there's some really tricky things. Now, is it better to not talk about it or to talk about it respectfully or to talk about it anonymously or to only talk about it when you get drunk? Um, I think I think this is one of those areas at the moment where the the world's not quite doing ourselves the service it, it, it deserves. And what you tend to get is sort of people acting out and you tend to get very extreme conversations and you tend to get people to get vilified. Um, and often what's happening is that the really smart people are just being quiet um, because mm. it's more important for them to keep their jobs than it is for them to kind of express opinions which are helpful. And that, that's that's fine. Um, but, I, you know, I, I welcome the day that we can talk about these things quite openly and understand that people are probably not as evil as we think they are. Yeah, I agree. Well, look, pleasure to chat. Thanks for the therapy session. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Thank you. It was very good. Thank you, Ollie.